Hey everybody, hope you had a good day. I think this is the first day back. Okay, so this is Monday. I'm not sure when you're going to listen to this. Monday, April the 4th. This would be your first day back after spring break. And man, I'm sure, well, I'm sure you're happy to see your friends and your teachers, but um, man, it sure is nice having a week off and a week of freedom, right? I mean, when isn't it just awesome to have a week to do whatever you want, for the most part? But um, I want to get finished with Axe. We've been at Axe for over a year now, and we've taken a couple of breaks and detours and knocked it down the priority list. So let's get through Axe. There's a lot of really cool things. Let's just remember where Axe has taken us from and where it's going to take us. So Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected, which we're going to be celebrating Easter here real soon. He was resurrected, but a lot of people don't remember the fact that he spent time hanging out with the apostles after he was resurrected and they say more than 500 people saw him and and then he was taken up and uh he he left to prepare a place for us and he sent the holy spirit on what day you guys remember what day the apostles were praying in the upper room And, uh, yeah, it was the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down as like tongues of fire upon all of them. And they spoke in tongues and, and, um, everybody understood what they were saying. So anyways, that was the fire of the Holy Spirit coming down and then that kind of fueled the ministry, the the initial push to evangelize um, Jerusalem and all the ends of the earth with the good news of who Jesus is. So anyways, there's the, the story of Stephen and just the expansion of the church and um, all kinds of neat stories as the gospel spread And as Paul went out and Peter went out and everybody went out. And now we are on chapter 20. So I will stop with my haphazard recap here and read chapter 20. All right. Paul in Macedonia in Greece. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean 
son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians Tychius and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where, he, where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gotten up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away live and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had, he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Caius. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Oh, so they're starting to, at least Paul, he is regarding Pentecost as a significant day. I'm not sure how many years ago this was. It had to have been a couple, I think at least two, three, four, maybe five. So he wants to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Okay, verse 17. Now for Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how long, oh, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction, afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that from that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the, the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Chapter 21. And you know, okay kids, these chapters here are spoken like in the in the second person. Somebody's referring, like somebody's telling the story and there's, he's saying we. And I think, okay, I don't remember for sure, but it was either Mark or Luke who accompanied Paul. And so he's telling like this story like he was there. So when he says we, this is one of the other apostles, I think. But we need to verify that. I am not saying that's true, but I'm pretty sure that this was like Mark or Luke telling this story of this part of Acts here. 
Okay, chapter 21. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed it at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So, okay, here's something to think of, kiddos. These folks know, and they're talking through the Spirit. They know what's going to happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. But they're, And they're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Or maybe they're just warning of what's going to him of what's going to happen. But notice what these um, brothers and disciples are telling Paul through the Spirit and what Paul says the Spirit is telling him. Verse 5. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on aboard the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who had who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. 
After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Well, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. I'm not sure what this all means, you guys. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. Evidently, there were some um, Jewish Christian converts who were still like doing some of the Old Testament um, things of the law or just some extraneous traditions of taking vows and shaving their heads and ritually rich ritually purifying themselves that you know obviously wasn't part of um what jesus told them to do as part of the christian doctrine but they're saying you don't want to offend these christians because they've heard that you're you're not supposed to obey uh the law anymore the law of moses which that's kind of not true um yes obey the Ten Commandments, but they're not they're not uh, bound by all of those religious traditions and the 631 parts of the Old Testament laws. So there is some confusion here in the early church. Let's just leave it at that. They're still getting things worked out. Those poor Jews, they, they had so many rules to follow. They had so many rules to follow from the Bible and then the Pharisees heaped so many additional uh, extraneous rules and religious traditions on them that these poor folks were just, you know, their heads were swimming. They believe in Jesus, but they're not sure how to please God. Okay, sorry, that was a little detour there. Verse 25. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Hey, wasn't that the letter that, or wasn't that the discussion that Paul had with Peter and all those folks a few chapters back? That's like exactly what Paul and Peter had agreed with another group of early Christians, I think. Please correct your daddy. I am not uh, preaching. I'm exploring the text, which I can't remember 100%, but I'm pretty sure that we already talked about that stuff earlier in Acts. And I was like, just some basic rules. Yeah, this is really nasty. Don't do that. Blood is so important and symbolic. Just stay away from it. Don't do anything weird with it or eat it. And don't just don't do strangling stuff or eat anything that's been strangled because, you know, the, the breath of life that you have 
that that God breathed into all everything living is very very important and of course don't do anything nasty with your bodies don't use your bodies any in any way that God didn't intend you to do abstain from sexual immorality all right verse 26 then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Okay, you guys, there's a lot to learn here. And I'm sorry, I can't explain it to you very well. But the temple, the the Jews are still sacrificing in the temple, worshiping. They're still spending time in the temple. And the Jews, of course, the Jews who didn't accept Jesus... And, you know, helped crucify Jesus. They're business as usual, doing all this stuff in the temple. So Paul, in verse 26 here, purifies himself according to the old uh, Jewish laws and goes in with these people to the temple and then presents an offering for each one of them. All right, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They're not saying that Paul did bring him into the temple, but they assumed the worst. I just picture Trophimus, because remember Ephesus... Remember a couple, couple chapters back with uh, what's his name, the silversmith, Diet. Come on, help me here, Diet. I'm gonna look it up. I'm sorry. I'm not doing a super great job of explaining things tonight. I've got a lot to learn about Acts, you guys. I love reading reading to you, but I still have a lot to learn. Just so you know that, Diet. Come on, help me. Say it through the phone. I'm just messing with you. Daya, Daya, I better find it here faster. I'm going to make up some funny word that totally derail our whole conversation, our whole reading. I'm not going to be silly. Daddy will not be silly. I will not be silly. Da-da-da. Oh, my goodness, you guys. Okay, well, I'm skipping it. I'm pretty sure you guys figured it out out already, the silversmith. Anyways, so everybody in Ephesus worshipped... Um, what was her name? Help me here. Gotta say it louder. Sorry, guys, I'm tired. Demetrius, that was his name. 
oh, I, you guys should be proud of me. I didn't, I didn't bust loose with some silly, silly, uh, made up name. And okay. So they live in Ephesus. Demetrius is a very shrewd and let's just call him greedy silversmith, hyper protective of their, uh, silver shrines to Artemis. Artemis, there's the big temple there. So it's, it's kind of like Disney World. It's the center of all false worship. Did I just say that? Um, totally offending every person who loves Disney stuff. But it's true. I think people worship Disney way too much. Anyways, I, dig I digress. So all the Ephesians are worship this false god of Artemis. Therefore, they worship demons. And I just picture... This guy, Troph Trophimus, whom Paul brought to Jerusalem with him as being like all tattooed and having like nose rings and, you know, just looking like a total savage and, you know, scary guy. And he brings him into Jerusalem with him. And he's just frightening all of the Jews. And uh, verse 29, oh, verse 28. So the Jews start stirring everybody up against Paul. Help, men of Israel. This Paul has been telling everybody to be disobedient and disregard the law. And, and he even brought Greeks into the temple and they've defiled this holy place. So they're being big ball babies trying to like tattle, tattling big time on Paul. And the way I read verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus, this ex-demon ex worshiper from Ephesus, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Okay, sorry. It took me way too long to make that point. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. Okay, the tribune of the cohort, this is some official maybe like the the um sergeant at arms or the uh the colonel over Jerusalem or maybe it was even the government official who was like the kind of like the mayor this the occupying mayor I'm not sure if he was purely governmental or or a military figure or some kind of hybrid of the, of the two. But in this English Standard Version, he is called the Tribune of the Cohort. He has authority, authority to direct soldiers and centurions. And they ran down to them. And when they saw the Tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. These are the Jews. Then the Tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and 
What are you done? Some in the crowd. Oh, he's kind of sounding. Oh, sorry, guys. He's kind of sounding more like the sheriff of the town for the the uh, um, Romans. He might be like the Roman sheriff. That's what I'm picking up right now. But that's another thing to verify. See, when you guys read back through this again, you'll be like, oh, yeah, dad was all he wasn't right about that. This guy was that. And actually, this was that. But that's part of the fun, you guys. I'm just trying to get through the story and paint the first picture, paint the outline of these stories for you. And you can fill in the details later, or we can fill them in together later. Okay, verse 34. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. He ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. Hey guys, does this remind you of any other crowds not too long ago? Maybe, uh, maybe like the crowds who were screaming and yelling for Jesus to be crucified. Maybe there's like these, the same spirit kind of moving amongst the Jews right now. God's word here says that the crowd, that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. So that's a huge hint right there. That's like, boop, God is telling God is telling us pretty much straight out that his spirit is not amongst these Jews here causing all this uproar and confusion because what do we know about the Holy Spirit? For God has not given us a spirit of fear or a confusion, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And nobody was of, of a sound mind at this time. And when he, Paul, came to the steps, verse 35, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! Verse 37, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he, the tribune, said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he... The tribune had given him permission. Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Okay, that's the end of chapter 21. Okay, so it sounds like Paul was 
talking in Greek to the tribune, and then now he's going to talk to the Jews in Hebrew. Paul's pretty awesome, huh? He's like one of those a hundred percent capable people who's just amazing and fearless too. Okay, I'm gonna look up Tribune. I it bothers me I know so little about what I'm talking about. Tribune role in ancient Rome. Oh, there we go. Tribunes commanded bodyguard units and auxiliary cohorts. All right. Got to go to Wikipedia. The number one authority for everything Christian. I'm just kidding. Wikipedia is not Christian. Okay. Tribune was the title of various elected officials in ancient Rome. The two most important were the tribunes of the plebs and the military tribunes. For most of Roman history, a college of ten tribunes of the plebs acted as a check on the authority of the Senate and the annual magistrates, holding the power of Ius Intercessionus to intervene on behalf of the plebeians or the plebeians and veto unfavorable legislation. There were also military tribunes who commanded portions of the Roman army subordinate to higher magistrates such as the consuls and praetors and pro-magistrates and their legates. Various officers within the Roman army were also known as tribunes. The title was also used for several other positions and classes in the course of Roman history. Okay, so we weren't too far away. We weren't too far off. We know he's an authority. He commands some troops. And he's kind of uh, the point of contact here for this big um, kerfuffle that Paul's involved in at the hands of the Hebrews who were all whiny about Paul disturbing their religious traditions. and Let's see here. Book of Acts. Roll of the Tribune in the Book of Acts. Uh, Claudius. Claudius. Lysias, the tribune, appears in the New Testament in Acts chapter 21 through 24 in connection with Paul's interaction with the Jews in Palestine. Claudius Lysias is called the tribune 16 times within Acts 21 through 24. The military tribunes in the audience hall Okay, all right, so we got a better feel for that. It's one thing to estimate and say, well, I think it's this, but it's really nice to verify and get 
sources. Then you can speak more confidently and with more authority about a given topic or subject. So anyways, I'm glad we looked up Tribune. The Romans had all kinds of fancy, fancy terms for their officials. All right. All right, so we're at the end of chapter 21. And the Tribune gives Paul permission to speak to this crowd. And do you guys remember watching um, the, oh goodness, what's the show we've been watching? Um, the Chosen. And how the, how the one Roman official, like he just thinks his entire time dealing with the Pharisees and with the Jews is is basically like entertainment, and he like toys with Jesus and he toys with um, Peter and he just toys with everybody. He's kind of it's kind of like a joke, kind of like oh goodness, I gotta be here in this you know redneck town where these crazy legalistic Jews walk around with their robes, and now these renegade apostles are just got them so upset know all this stuff about Jesus and my goodness what they're just like a bunch of little kids well there's probably good historical evidence how you know here and other places where these these officials gave Paul and gave others um, room to speak to the Jews Maybe because they were trying to keep the peace, or maybe they just thought, "Oh, who cares? Whatever, whatever he says, whatever they say, I really don't care what conclusion they come to." Because if things things get bad enough, I'll just have my uh, soldiers kill them all. We'll just see what happens here. You know, I don't have anything scheduled for this evening. I'll eat dinner later, but eh, maybe we'll just have to uh, throw a bunch of them in jail. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of reading into things here, and then that, those episodes out of The Chosen came to mind, but, um, yeah, sure enough, this, um, Tribune says, yeah, let him have it, Paul, go ahead. All right, chapter 22, so Paul stands up, says, in Hebrew, verse 1, brothers and fathers, Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they, the Jews, heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up to this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way. There's that term again, the way. He's not calling, calling it Christianity yet. He's calling it the way. Verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. 
they're still there, you guys. The, the high priests, the Jewish high priests, knew Paul as a vengeful, um, violent man against anybody who followed Jesus. Isn't that crazy? He's calling them out. Verse 5. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. These are arrest warrants, you guys. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them into bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Upon this word, they listened to him. 
Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul saw the centurion who was standing by. Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So, those who were about to, to examine him, I'm thinking this examining thing is more like beat the snot out of him and try and get him to confess to something. Sorry, verse 29. So, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So, you guys, um, evidently, and I've heard this preached a lot of times, the Roman citizens were very, very, they held each other in high regard. They treasured their citizenships and their standing as a Roman citizen. Kind of like we treasure our American citizenship and even uh, brag about being Americans and, and use it as a point of pride. And sure enough, we, uh, we sometimes tease each other or tease different groups in, in, our, in our nation about, you know, being proud Americans. You can't mess with America. We're Americans. You know, being maybe a little too uh, prideful about our our standing as American citizens because of our prosperity and our our peace and our our abundance we have here, and you know there might have been some of that same mentality with these Roman citizens. I know that they considered themselves highly educated and cultured and refined as a uh, a nation and and citizenry, um, way below ever um, unlawfully arresting and and uh, punishing somebody without without a trial um, anyways but they do that to other other citizens of, of different nations or you know probably did it to Jews all the time and well really didn't care because they were the uh, 
they were the nation being occupied. So even though Paul was a Jew and subjected himself to all of the same religious customs and persecuted the early Christians along with the Pharisees, he was also a Roman citizen. Kind of interesting, kind of cool. Going to help him later. Okay, sorry, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he, the uh, tribune, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Oops, Paul's not quite off the hook yet. Okay, that's the end of chapter 22. Let's stop there, you guys. I, uh, I took a long time to read three chapters because I asked a lot of questions. So that was Daddy having studied very minimally and not being, being an expert in this part of uh, Acts. So, as you guys get answers and as these things come up in the future, uh, let's talk about them. And that's the great part about having people to fellowship with and discuss different things. You'll hear things and you'll be taught things at school and in your church groups and even as adults. You'll come back to me and say, hey, Dad, guess, guess what I learned about um, this part of Christian, the early church's history, and about Paul. So, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, whoa, that's so cool. Thanks for telling me. I always wondered about that. I remember I read that to you guys, but I didn't really know much about it. So, thanks. So, yeah, when you guys learn things, um, by all means, let's, let's, like, talk about them and, like, bring all of our understanding um, to, a, to a higher level. And we can glorify God because the more we learn about Scripture and about these stories and about all the cool parts, just like watching The Chosen, how, um, what's his name, the main producer, writer guy, sorry, I can't remember his name, how he brings all those pastors and Bible scholars together and they, they take the Bible text and then they study it and then they kind of fill in the gaps and even speculate a little bit just to add depth and dimension to the story. And they make sure it doesn't go against anything the Bible teaches, but it's just cool and it's fun and it broadens your understanding and it helps us, well, it helps us love our Heavenly Father more when all these cool little nuances and details come out. Um, or at least that we can speculate into. Do you guys know the difference between like fact and speculation? Facts are like, this is true. I know this. But then speculating means, well, this could be true. So it's not set in stone, but... It could be true, especially if it doesn't contradict any 
any other thing in the Bible or any of God's character or any of God's laws. Um, anyways, I have talked a lot and I apologize for not studying more. But uh, yeah, with all that, I love you kiddos and I'm getting excited here because in a week, almost a week, in a week I'll be home for two weeks and then I'll go back to work on nights for two weeks and then after that I have six weeks off and the weather is going to be good and we can do stuff outside and I'm just excited to be with you guys for six weeks while the weather's good. I am super stoked about that. So that's another reason why I want to uh, read and study our way through Acts so we can um, start new stuff or pick up on other things that we have been meaning to do. Oh, and when I get home, that's another reason. Um, the new uh, Prince Lander and the Dragon something is coming out by S.D. Smith. That's like going to be ready to read right when I get home. So super excited about that. Okay, kiddos, have a great night. I love you very much. Be blessed. And um, just know that your Father in Heaven loves you so much better and so much more perfectly than I could ever hope to. But I still love you a ton. And um, I know mommy does. Have a great night and a great day tomorrow. All right. Bye-bye. Love you.